going on? My name is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Seth from the band Psydune over Zoom video. Seth grew up in a small town and he talked about how he got into music, started off on piano, but uh, quickly moved on to guitar and just became obsessed with guitar. He talks about a guitar teacher he had growing up that was a huge influence on him. He ended up going to Berkeley School of Music to study guitar. From there, he moved down to New York City, and that's where he formed the band Akron Family. We talk about the success of that band, eventually starting his project Psydune, his first two records with Psydune, starting his own record label, and all about this brand new record he just released called Against Face. You can watch our interview with Seth on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, it'd be cool if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Psydune. This podcast is about you and uh, your journey in music, and we'll talk about the new record. The, the record came out, what, today? Did I say yeah, that? Well, yesterday, yeah. Uh, yesterday, yep. Yeah. So yesterday, today, it's sort of a Thursday, Friday release. Very cool. Well, that's that's super exciting, so I want to talk to you about that as well. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, well, do you mind? I don't know if you mind touching on Akron Family at all, because I know it's part of your story. Yeah, totally. And we won't stay there too long, but I was just I want to hear, I'm just curious about it and then into, into your new project. Yeah, I would love to. Sounds great. Cool. Um, where were you born and raised? Were you born and raised in New York? Uh, I was actually born in New Jersey, but then uh, before the age of one, moved to Pennsylvania. So I grew up in uh, central Pennsylvania. Williamsport is the name of the little town. It's like three and a half hours from New York City. So beautiful, small country town, Pennsylvania. Okay. What was it? What was it like growing up there? Um, you know, it's funny. It's like when you're where you grow up, you just think it's normal. Like that's the way things are. But it was like, to me, it was normal, small town America. It's like, we knew all our neighbors and, um, you know, like I would go down the street and hang out with my friend and we watched, we really liked Footloose, watching Footloose and that BMX movie, uh, Rad. Um, so it was great. And it was weirdly like a kind of, you know, I, I imagine we'll talk about this later when I looked at your questions, um, it was like a really a music town for being a small town. Um, okay. There were a few amazing uh, teachers there. And so there was just a lot of kids that, that were really talented musicians. And there's a lot of music stuff going on. Um, so it was kind of a cool little town to grow up in. It was very idyllic, lots of beautiful nature around creeks, fly fishing, that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. But also a lot of music stuff going on too. That is awesome. So, uh, well, what about your family? Were they musical at all or are they musical at all? My family does not play music. Um, but, but my dad's really a passionate music listener, you know, like okay. kind of guy, like put a record or CD on, close his eyes and like listen to the whole record, really go on a journey. Um, That's cool. You know, he definitely turned me on to like jazz and, and certain blues stuff uh, early on. That definitely was a part of the beginning of my music journey for sure. Sure. What was the first instrument you learned? I studied piano. Actually, speaking of my parents weren't musicians, but we took like some like father-son piano class where we learned piano at the same time but so i studied piano like when That's i was awesome a, when i was a kid but i never really like was very super dedicated to it or um 
were overly passionate about it. I liked it. But then I switched to guitar around the age of 12 and got just was like head over heels for guitar and just like was just obsessed with like just became obsessed with guitar and music and bands and metho- the mythology, that whole thing. Um, which well, led to songwriting and singing and production and all that other stuff. Sure. Well, well, first off, that's awesome that they did a father-son piano thing. I wish yeah, they were maybe I could find one if I looked it up, but like that's really rad. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of fun. And I was like, you know, I was probably better than him, probably at an early age. So that <laughs> gave me confidence. Sure, sure. Well, you talked about, you know, the, the town you grew up in being a musical town. Was yeah. this did you were there a lot of shows happening? Like how was did that kind of intertwine? Yeah, I mean doing? At, at that time there were there were definitely like through middle school and high school, there were the, you know, people had punk bands and hardcore shows at the, like the YMCA and stuff like that too. But then, and I had a few different guitar teachers. I had some awesome guitar teachers. My early guitar, first guitar teachers, before I really knew what I was doing, like I was playing classical guitar because, you know, or had a nylon string guitar because I don't know, that mm-hmm. was what they recommended you start on. But I, all these guys with like really long hair that were just like metal shredder dudes. Um, and then at some point I started bringing in stuff like Robert Johnson or Skip James or Kenny Burrell jazz guitar music and stuff. And I think they were like helping me transcribe it, but I could tell that they weren't the right place to find that information. And then I, right. through another friend found this other guitar teacher who, who also had a background as a metal shredder too, but he had gone to Berkeley and he was really well studied played jazz wrote jazz did all this stuff and then he was just in the beginnings of sort of starting what has now become this kind of like full-fledged music school in our small little town and wow. he was like a really um you know like a passionate dedicated teacher music educator and and sort of like you know one of the first like mentor teachers in my life that it really was like okay yeah you're pretty good at this thing but like how much better could you be and it was like really like a the, like they he challenged me to like mm-hmm. be better than what I was like, just easily good at to like, you know, fi- you know, and, um, and so, yeah, so that, that started my study of jazz and I ended up going to Berkeley and studying jazz and jazz composition, stuff like that. Oh, you um, did. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, but, then, um, but yeah, our, but he went on to start like just a side note on him. He went on to start this music school. What it was when I was studying with him, the, the guys that I was in a band with Dana from Akron family, the drummer, we were all like eager to learn stuff. And we were like, he would teach us these classes of music theory in his kitchen. We would go over to his house and he would, we would sit at the kitchen table. We would analyze real book chord changes do you know, you know, analyzing chords, learning mo- all that stuff. We were in high school and he went on to start the school and now there's all these kids and they do insane productions. They put on Pink Floyd's the wall at the local theater or wow. like walk into random cafes in our town. And there's these 14 year olds reading down bebop charts on the, in the real book. It's kind of like a weird, insane thing. Um, that is awesome though. Wow. What, what a cool like thing to start in your town. I mean, yeah, I grew up in San Diego and I can't think of anything cool like that. <laughs> oh, cool. I, I live in San Diego now. We live in Oceanside. Do you really? Yeah. I was wondering, you had to be in Southern California with the weather yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then actually, so then, yeah, so left, went to study uh, Berkeley, and then I moved to Brooklyn. That's where I started Akron Family. And then after about, I don't know, six or seven years of living in New York City and touring, I actually left and went back to my hometown of Williamsport for a few years before coming out west. And um, my teacher, Dave, his name's Dave Rumball, and his music school is called the Uptown Music Collective. 
he he had gone on from like these informal classes in his like kitchen literally to like having started the school and i went to visit him and i was just like this is insane how many students do you have and he's like i don't know 90 some oh, wow. and, and i was like my friend regina worked with this composer reese chatham who wrote a orchestra for 100 guitars and I was like, Dave, would you, if, if I could pull, he had, was living in Paris at the time, this composer. And I was like, if I could pull this off, you know, would you want to do this hundred guitars here in Williamsport with your kids? And he's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And Reese had only ever done the performance in Europe. It had never been staged in America. And um, so I got in touch with him through my friend Regina, managed him. And, and we, we ended up staging the first performance of this hundred guitar symphony in our small town with wow. all these kids um, you know, so Jonathan Kane on drums who like played in Swans and all these like proto-punk early 80s hardcore New York bands on drums. Um, Josh Abrams, who's a bass player from Chicago, that like Chicago underground quartet, like amazing bass player from Chicago came in. And then we just had like we, we ended up not having 100 students, had like 80. And then we just filled it in with all the local like metal dude guitar teachers. And, and we put on the first American performance of the uh, Reese Chatham's 100 guitar piece. It was pretty fun. That is so cool. That is yeah. really cool. So well, real quick to back up a, a second. So from from high school, like learning, I mean, it sounds like you're way into like jazz and that mm -hmm. technical style guitar. Is, mm -hmm. And you went on to learn that at Berkeley too. You you went there for that yeah when i went to berkeley the focus was on jazz performance and then with a sub focus in like uh composition um okay because even from an early age i was really passionate about guitar but i was also always i always was really passionate about like starting bands and and songwriting and i didn't get this like singing until later um towards high school and into college and um but but i was just always really passionate about songwriting and and mm -hmm. you know stuff like that too. So when I got to Berkeley, I mainly focused on guitar and it was just like, you know, like practicing in the practice rooms all day, drank a lot of yerba mate, um, <laughs> sure. which went really well with uh, scales. There was a teacher at Berkeley named Mick Goodrick. I don't, do you play guitar? Uh, poor. I mean, I can, okay. play, yeah, but I'm not good by any means. When I, when I studied with my teacher in Williamsport, there's this book called the advancing guitarist, which is this really cool book by this, um, uh he's like a jazz guitarist but almost more famous as a teacher um this guy mick goodrick he wrote this book advancing uh advancing guitarist he was pat Matheny's teacher mm -hmm. and um yeah the book is just really like philosophical and conceptual about how to get outside the boundaries of like traditional guitar technique it's, it's hard to explain but it's it's a really kind of amazing book and so i was really excited about studying from him as well when i got to to berkeley so i got to study with him and all these mm -hmm. other amazing teachers um so yeah did you start any bands while you're going there or was it mainly just focusing on studying no when i when i was at berkeley it was all i was like jazz obsessed and it was just like playing jazz with everybody playing traditional tunes writing jazz stuff but it wasn't any, i didn't have any bands when i was there i had bands all through high school mm -hmm. um, and then and then there i still played with some of the musicians dana i, I kind of always played with dana the drummer from akron family he and mm -hmm. i grew up together and um but then, yeah, Berkeley was just like all jazz, still playing with some of the bands from home, but didn't really start any bands there. And then when I went to New York, um, I started in New York still being very into the jazz thing. But then I was kind of, that was when I started to kind of make the switch where I was like, you know, I, I like jazz, but I really want to do bands and songwriting and production and incorporate some of what I, 
the techniques and ideas and theories that I've gotten from jazz into, uh, you know, other forms of music, I guess, for that. Did you, why did you choose to go back to New York or, or and then how did you meet, was your, was the drummer for Akron family living there at the time too? Or no, no, no. I went to Berkeley? New York. I went to New York because I actually left. I didn't finish at Berkeley. And then I went and I was, took some classes at NYU and I was going to finish maybe considering finish school in New York. I was also going to go finish school at the conservatory at Oberlin. And then, um, and then I just, oh, wow. in, in Ohio, Oberlin, yeah. Ohio. Yeah. No way. My, yeah. gr- my grandmother went there. Oh, that no, crazy? really? That's amazing. That's yeah, awesome. she did. She went there for, uh, she was a singer and she went oh, there. That's so cool. Yeah. So I was going to, I was going to finish there. Um, and then, but then I got to New York and honestly, I just sort of fell in love with New York, like living in Boston. I, I, I liked Boston. There was a lot of cool stuff going on. There's music, all the colleges had interesting lectures and all stuff going on, mm-hmm. but I didn't like really fall for the city. But then when I moved to New York, um, I just kind of was like, I just loved New York city and I loved, um, the street level of it and like mm-hmm. being exposed to all the people and the ideas. And like, I just found so much music that I loved and being a jazz fan, there was all this vital jazz music going on. There's this, um, scene, this guy that I really loved, this bass player, William Parker has sort of a whole scene or, or it's not his scene, but it's sort of like the the free jazz scene in New York. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there was like the John Zorn, more downtown New York, avant-garde, arty side. And then there was like the William Parker, more free jazz, energy music, post Albert Eiler, John Coltrane. So they were playing concerts all the time. And then there were rock bands. When I first moved to New York, it was like that whole, um, uh, yeah, 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 strokes. Sure. Uh, uh, Oneida, rock, Liars, rock, rock revival thing going on. Mm-hmm. I interned at Matador Records. Oh, you did? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I photocopied a lot of pictures of Interpol. It's <laughs> <laughs> like pre-internet, you know, so it's like yeah. photocopying. Um, yeah, so so I kind of just, I just loved New York and then and then got into making music with a bunch of people in New York and then started Akron Family and just, it just sort of all started happening. And so I ended, ended up not finishing school and just going, making records and going on tour and stuff like that. Yeah. So like, tell me about getting like when Akron family starts going, like what was the first kind of big success, like milestone that happened with, with the band? I mean, we started making music and we were kind of like living like a dual life as a band where we were um, recording. We had like this weird loft out in East Brooklyn, um, which of course, when we moved into, we thought, wow, we're going to play music all the time. And then the first day we got in there, we like started raging. And then all like four neighbors came and were like, you can't do that. This is like, we all live here. This is not a rehearsal space. And we were like, oh, right. So we got a rehearsal space, but then we started making like recordings in the loft, but they had to be really quiet because of the the noise. Yeah. So we were making, um, and we were using Fruity Loops, which is now like mostly made people make trap music on Fruity Loops, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, beats and stuff, but we were using it to make really weird, you know, kind of like post folk cut up, you know, quiet music with lots of interesting sounds. We were really in- influenced by like Gastro Del Sol and Jim O'Rourke, um, some other stuff that was going on. And but it was right around the time of like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was coming out. I don't know. I just feel like people were like, blending songs with sound in interesting ways 
Yeah, I mean that you you guys did that incredible in Acrid Family. I mean, there's so many different sounds within each song. It's got folk, but then there's like totally a totally different sound that comes in, and like almost yeah, yeah, like psychedelic yeah. at moments. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and then and then and then we had a really crude setup, so we had to like record the songs one way and then kind of cut them up and then paste them back together in the computer and put in all these weird sounds. And then and then we had this sort of other life where we had a you know a rehearsal space and we would just go and play as loud as we possibly can and like you know, improv, crazy noise, rock music for an hour and then um, and then play shows around New York City. So we had these kind of two lives and then we ended up signing with Young God Records. Um, and then that was when we and then we. Uh, uh, Michael Girard pr- helped us produce our first record and then um, and then we played on his Angels of Light record and toured with him. And so that was sort of the beginning of touring and uh you know playing live playing live so much on those early years where we toured like i know we were just on the road all the time and i think that really like was such a big experience and learning experience as a musician too where you go from having all these ideas to really being able to try out all the ideas all the time you know real time in front of people get that experience Mm -hmm. and when when you're in when you're in uh akron family what would you say if you could like pinpoint like a like a big change in the or like a big milestone for the band as far as like achieving like a big goal that you were were set out for. Yeah, I mean our for, our first big goal is like oh we really want to be on a record label and then um you know we were sending I, I we like made these like CDRs and decorated them with all sorts of stuff and with you know <laughs> and and we um and we sent them out to like all record labels and uh you know but but ended up signing with um Young God Records. He had just put out the Devendra Banhart's first record, um, when and you know which I had happened upon his first show in Brooklyn at Peach Can Store, and um, so yeah, so that was that was a big moment for us was like signing to to signing a deal, signing a record label because that sort of he's that sort of opened the doors to us for like a booking agent and touring in Europe and all the, all this stuff that we were excited to do. Yeah, was it? I mean. I, I can imagine being in a band that you get signed to a label like that, especially then it was like, that's like the dream, right? Like, Oh, mm-hmm. we got signed to a, a record label. Like, did you guys have like a big celebration or yeah, big it, it was, from that? It was, it was kind of funny because I remember it being like, like it happened. And then we were like, wow, like it, it, it sort of was like slow too, because like we, we, we started that relationship, but then went on to make the record and work on his record. It took like another year or year and a half before it actually came out. So in a weird way, it was kind of like, like we were so excited and then it was kind of like, Oh, you know, okay, well, okay. Now we get to work and, and our year and a half later, the record comes out and the touring happens. Um, but so there wasn't any like, you know, like NBA final champagne. Okay. Ski goggles <laughs> or anything. Although yeah. in retrospect, I feel like we should have done that. That would have been fun. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, and I mean, obviously the band went on for, for a, a, a while, right? I mean, yeah. put out a ton of records, what, six or seven albums and yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Seven, six, seven, eight records. Yeah. We, we put out a bunch of records on young God, um, did some fun collaborations, um, ended up, colla- you know, doing some collaborations with some jazz musicians that I'd always really looked up to and, and jazz school, you know, it came sort of brought them into our universe of sound and, and hybridizing that. And we put out a bunch of records with uh, uh, Dead Oceans. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and then, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, and once, you know, the, you got, from what I read, it just, it kind of, you got, 
the, you and the rest of the band kind of just started your own little, started on different side projects. Yeah, and, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. And that's kind of how it fizzled yeah, I th- that. Yeah, I think around like um, the last record we made was Subverses. And I think that, I think by that time it was just like everyone was sort of naturally starting to go creatively in different directions. And then I think, um, you know, for me too, I was starting to not want to tour quite as much because we toured all the time and mm-hmm. wanted to do more writing and composing and producing projects and stuff like that. Um, so it just sort of like became like a natural pause that just sort of has been an ongoing natural pause, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, when did you end up getting out to East? Well, now you're in San Diego, but where did yeah. you move to San Diego? Was that your first move from the East Coast or did you no, go to LA? No, we hopped all around. We left okay. and uh, came to uh, Portland first. We were in Portland for a little while, which was great. And uh, Dana from Ackner Family, the drummer, moved to Portland as well. And he's still there. He loves it uh, there, okay. um, which is an awesome music town too. Lots of great musicians yeah. in Portland, bands in Portland. And then, um, but we got kind of rained out a bit in portland and so we <laughs> went to tucson which is kind of like the opposite and i sure. think a little bit of a, a back and forth there where people get rained out they go to tucson and then they get dried out and then they go back to portland so there's a bit of a thing there okay. tucson's an awesome music town too obviously mariachi and, and mexican influence but a lot of great studios and i think paul mccartney lived there for a little bit um did he really yeah and i know then, his wife uh, loved uh Palm Springs, that was like her favorite place. Oh, ever. yeah. Yeah. Palm, Palm Springs is great, too. And then we moved to L.A. for a bit. Then we were in Joshua Tree for a few years. And then and then again, we kind of got tried out in Joshua Tree and ended up being like, let's go try out Oceanside. And then, um, yeah. So we ended up- right. now you're San Diego. That's amazing. Um, yeah. so, I mean, the project you you just put the record out with, yeah. this is your first album, first release. No, 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 no. Okay. This, is, this is my fourth release, uh, Sidoon. I, uh, the first one, I made the first record in Tucson and then, uh, the second and then the second and third record in Joshua tree. Uh, so there's a record called no recognize. There's a record called shake. Okay. A record called uh desert, uh, desert, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, then, and then, and then this one against face, um, you know, I think with this project, Sidoon in general, I was like, when I moved to Tucson, um, you know, I had just, I kind of was like wanting to revisit like some like early influences of that I mentioned, like of, mm-hmm. of early blues music, you know, Skip James and different sort of, you know, primal early, early blues influences. And then that sort of like led to like investigating early rock and roll musics as well you know 50s stuff um uh, up into proto-punk music and so like kind of in a way all the different sidoon records have been like me kind of like digging into the language of different american blues and uh rock idioms you know for Mm -hmm. lack of a better word um and then up into this new release which kind of has like more of like a harebrained take on kind of like punk and new wave. Yeah, I was gonna say it's pretty heavy. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's but it's kind of all over the place because like it's it's not one, it's not meant to be like one specific sound. It's like each song kind of goes into like a different era of punk in a way, mm-hmm. and then it's kind of like brought together with these kind of interludes. It's sort of just like 
an explosion, 18 minute ex- explosion of, like, of rock music, energy, punk, punk energy music. It's fun. Yeah, no, it's a rad, it's a great record. I was listening to it and I'm like, gosh, this is a lot different than what he was doing with Akron. Yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, well, you also have a record label that you started? Yeah, 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 yeah. Lightning, was, yeah. yeah we was started that with- pre-Sidoon uh, or was that around the same time you started? Uh, no, yeah, it was around the same time. All the Sidoon stuff's come out on Lightning and then we put out other um, side projects from other artists and some smaller artists and some bigger artists and, uh, you know, some stuff I've produced and just, it, it's kind of been like a bit of an experiment. Uh, the, the label, um, not really a traditional label. We also sort of do a magazine sometimes. And so it's like, it's kind of like an art project meets record label where we're just trying to create like, you know, a context for different projects and different artists and collaborations to come together and do different projects. Okay. Um, yeah. That's really rad though. That's, yeah. I mean, um, well, I'm curious, you put out, well, you put out desert in what, 2019 right prior to the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, time's been so weird. I can't keep, it just feels like everything went on pause and then it's like, so yeah, I think that it was, it was definitely be, before the pandemic, probably like, you know, six months to a year before. Okay. And were you, are you still, were you able to like tour that record or support it? And then how did that affect your, you know, then being stuck? No, I don't think I, I don't think I played, I don't, I haven't played any shows, honestly. No. Yeah. We played, we played a few shows locally in LA and stuff like that around that record. And then, Mm -hmm. and then I think the pandemic hit and then I haven't really played live very much since then. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but, but I do a lot of production work and composing work and stay busy. I kind of like always recording records and composing and writing and stuff like that too. So I do, um, you know, some film and TV projects and then, uh, you know, I have a few other Sidoon records that I'm finishing now too, um, as well as some, some other projects. So I, I stay busy with music, but unfortunately it hasn't been live for. Right. For years. Yeah. Okay. So well, with this, the newest Sign Dude record that you just put out, when, when did you start writing that? Or was that a project that began once like, yes. tell me like, we're, yeah, like pandemic hits and then everyone's kind of like focused in on, you know, news, what's happening here. And then how quickly do you, are you able to get creative again and get back into music? Yeah. I mean, I, at first, when it first happened, I, I like took off for a little while and I was just like, the, you know, cause the whole world like pushed pause. And then right. I was like, Oh, I guess I'm, you know, I guess I'll start writing and making music again. And then a few of the songs on against face I had written back in set in early sessions for the last record and didn't end up finishing them. And so I started with those and then I started writing some new stuff and then, and then really the focus in uh, finishing it was just how to put it all together. And I started writing these crazy, like vapor wave transitions, all the like weird psychedelic synth stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think during the pandemic too, the beach was open so we could go surfing. So we started going, we were going surfing and somehow Devo became our going to the beach surf music. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know why it just was like, it just really got us pumped to go surfing. And so I, and I never really, I don't know if you have this experience too, but sometimes I find bands and I'm like, somehow I just never really explored that band yet, you know, before. Right. And mm-hmm. I just, uh, of course I knew who Devo was, but I never deep dived into the catalog. And so I just kind of like got really into that listening, going to surfing. And so that, then that took the record too. And it, bringing more synth 
into some of the punk stuff and then so that kind of brought in a new wave sound and so then i was just like putting putting all the different pieces together right on and do you record i mean you're obviously in a studio now do you record everything at your house yeah yeah i record record everything here and uh yeah we're actually putting uh getting ready to move into a larger studio space um but yeah everything's been out of the home for now and then the home studio that's yeah. awesome I mean, I mean, was that something you had already prior to were you already doing your recording yourself at home prior? Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, we've been in different places. So the setups have changed over the years. Um, but after COVID, it became a home studio for a while. Um, but yeah, but I've been I've been recording and producing stuff and, and composing for probably the last, you know, 10 years, you know, mm-hmm. sort of dovetailed with kind of like spending less time on the road with actor and family and then getting into more uh, composing work and studio work. Sure. Do you record any other artists? Like, are, do you engineer other sessions there or anything? Uh, like that? Uh, no, I, I've, I've done like collaborations with artists. And then um, there's a there's a new artist on Lightning, Ali Vanique. I helped co-produce that music. Um, it's more like electronic pop, you know, post-genre electronic pop music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can send you a link after the call. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so just get involved in a handful of projects, um, but then, and then mostly offshoots of something that I need to collaborate with or produce, but it's less like traditional recording, like micing up drum kits and stuff like that. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. How do you, and are you out scouting talent? Like how do you find artists for your label or do you have other people that kind of help you on that end or it's, it, it's more, it's, it's not like that. It's like, we do most of the A and R, but it's more like, um, you know, friends or friends of friends or just something we hear and then we hit them up and want to collaborate on a remix or do something. And then that naturally leads to, you know, putting out some of their music. Um, you know, lately we've been, um, doing a lot of collabs and remixes with people from it's all over the place, which has been great. Like we just did a remix for that artist. I was talking about Ali Vanique, Mm -hmm. um, a cool young DJ out of Peru, um, you know, some people out of Europe and just like, I don't know, we've been really excited about, you know, collaborating with people globally and reaching into like different sounds and cultures and mm-hmm. ways of making music and, and how like digitally we can collaborate now. That's cool. I mean, I know recently uh, there hasn't been much uh, room to go out and, and check out shows and stuff, but like, are you involved at all in the in San Diego scene at all? Not as much as I'd like to be. I mean, I hope hopefully soon because we've moved down here, right? We moved down and we were like, you know, surf for a few months. We're like, oh, let's go meet all these people. There's all this cool music stuff going on. There was a um, there was a place out in Escondido called Ship in the Woods that was doing cool shows and had, uh-huh. had just had their first festival. And then um, and then COVID hit, and then it was just kind of like, oh, there's you know, there's no shows, there's nothing going on. But it's it's slowly starting to happen again. You know, it's like all this belly up, and there's all sorts of cool stuff going on around here. Yeah, yeah, I because I, I moved to Nashville, um, and I moved in February twenty twenty, February no, February twenty twenty one. We like, okay. moved here. Uh, so yeah, I, and I was born and raised in San Diego. I spent a little bit of time in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, but I'm just, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I love talking to people that are there in San Diego. Cause it's, I can obviously relate directly to that, but I remember that, that festival you're talking about in Escondido, my in-laws still oh, yeah, in yeah. Escondido. Yeah. And yeah. So I remember that being announced and just like, it's crazy to think how much it just everything, you know, when it all shut down, like all these things that were going to happen and yeah, being exactly. in San Diego. And then it was just like, Oh, nothing is happening. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I know, but there's there's stuff happening. I mean, they just built, and we still haven't been, they just built the new, um, I don't know what they call it, the band shell down in the park. That's where the symphony plays in the summer. Mm-hmm. There's a new, there's a new uh, venue for the, the symphony in the summer. Um, and then, then Did yes. you ever go to that venue? And there's a venue right there in Oceanside in the, in the sand. Is that what you're talking about? No, 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 no. I don't know. What's that? Uh, it's like an, it's like a, I, I can't think of what it is. It's like, there's like a big stage. Um, I, they've had a big, Oh, a that place. That place. Yeah, no, yeah. I've, been, I've been asking people, I keep asking people when I like run into people that are like locals or like uh, in, involved with the city or one way. I'm like, what's up with that amphitheater? And they're like, Oh yeah. They, they want to do something. Maybe, I don't know. These people say this, these people say that it's like such an awesome spot. Like we need to do some shows there. Yeah. Um, I worked for a radio station for a long time in San Diego and oh, cool. we, we, yeah, we did, we did a couple of shows there. It was pretty good. Oh, cool. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. It was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. No, it's so, it's so prime. It's like a great spot. It's yeah. It's, it's it, no, yeah, it is. It's an awesome spot. It's, but it's so funny because when it comes down to like, um, like promoters and everything, it's very easy to just kind of see the show without having to pay to get in. If that makes any sense. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and yep. we had issues with people just kind of walking in cause there's no real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's not very, it's not a very controlled environment. It's, <laughs> no, it's, not, not it's probably all. better for like a free, free city Fun, right, you know, outdoor it's, show. It's better exactly. for a free thing, yeah. Than like, uh, it's it's not a very uh, boxed off control. Right. Location. That's why I was wondering if they're doing anything there, because especially now with all the venues hurting, I'm sure that doesn't help. Like, oh, let's, yeah. Let's let's hire this huge artist to play this big amphitheater that we can't control people coming in and out of. Yeah. Yeah. No, they haven't been doing much there, but shows are starting to happen again. Um, you know, uh, you know, Ty Segal just played at Belly Up, and then. Um, mm. I love I met, a, I met a local band here, Matson 2. Have you heard of these guys? Do you know the Matson 2? Uh-uh. Yeah, I think they're on a car park. Um, I met them up at Tree Fort. Uh, I, I don't know. I went to, do you, have you heard of this music festival, Tree Fort Music Fest out of Boise? No, I haven't. No. Yeah, I was going there for about like, I went to, I did like six or seven years of going there. And I was, I wrote this piece for uh, like 20 bands to play at the same time called Band Dialogue. So like, wow. It's it's easiest to do at festivals because there's so many bands there. So I'll like I'll organize with a festival to get bands to to kind of participate in it. And then we'll meet in the morning and I'll pass out all the instructions. I sort of teach them during the day and then the evening we do the performance. And it's like outdoors. So it's just like we'll take over a block or we'll shut down a street and do it in another street. Or it's just like this giant. I've done it in giant like lines or facing each other. Or the last few years at Tree Fort, we did it in these big circles. So it's just like 20 bands. And wow. the crowds all around. And then we like let people walk through sort of too. And um, it's just sort of this massive sort of sound sculpture with all these bands and, and all there's different sections that have some are like more sonic and some are more rhythmic and, and there's different things going on, but it's kind of cool because you also get the like um, each band has their own gear and sound. So you have like a metal band over here and this kind of electronic band here. And so everyone's like, you know, playing this similar figure, but you walk around and you can sort of hear the the colors and, and tones of each band coming through. It's it's cool. Um, but yeah, I met these guys from Matson too. They're twins from down here. Great uh, guitarist and drummer. So they've been playing some shows locally. That's cool. Wow. How do you even arrange something like that? I mean, do you come up with the whole piece? Like, how, I don't know. Like, how did you hear all these elements together to make? Yeah, sure yeah. It makes I mean, sense? it was like influenced by like I, I mentioned that I, I that composer, 
the hundred guitars. Yeah. I ended up after that performance, I went on and because the way he arranges it, he has subconductors. So I went on and became sort of a section leader and subconductor for him. And we did performances in San Francisco and the UK. And we ended up doing 200 guitars at Lincoln center. Um, And so I, you know, just from that, like I learned a lot about his process and how he arranged things and organized things and produced things. Um, And then uh, there's an amazing, I don't know if you know this Japanese band, the boredoms. Mm-mm. amazing noise rock band okay um they did, they did they did a hunt uh how many drummers 99 drummers in brooklyn and then i was i was just kind of I was like oh, i love getting all these people together and meeting everyone and like creating this large sound so i had this idea to do it with lots of bands so i would say like some of the the theories and ideas i learned from artists that have done similar things in the past and then it's just kind of like put you know putting those ideas together and kind of coming up with I don't know, interesting things that you can do only mm-hmm. with that many bands, <laughs> like either just looking at the drums or looking at the guitars or the, the sheer volume and insanity from like all, all of the musicians just going nuts and making a lot of noise to like really beautiful things you can do when everyone's just playing like really quietly. Um, but there's that many musicians. Um, and then some of it's more like, I don't know, I call it sculptural because it's just like sound going from here to there or like surround, you know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. just sound moving around in these shapes and some of it's more musical. So I, it's kind of hard to describe. It's more, it's sort of a have, have to be there kind of. Right. But it's like, it's, to me, it's fascinating that you're able to like even orchestrate all these 20 bands like, hey, we're all going to be here at this time. And here's all the stuff. Oh, the, the production of it. Well, oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Well, no, that's, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. It's a lot of. In the early days of doing it, um, I did it at Hopscotch Fest in North Carolina, and it was it was way more renegade. The first few performances, where I just like called a friend that lived there, and she helped me like get a permit to shut down the street, and then it was just like emailing bands and convincing them to show up, and they had no idea what they were showing up for, right. and then they get there, and then and then not all bands read music too, so I do it more like uh, it's more instruction based, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they just get there. They have no idea what they're in for. And I hand them instructions and we work it out. And it's, you know, it's, it, it so generally cool. works out. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did have, you answered my question correctly. The first one were about how it all, how to figure it out all together. But then even like, I just thought about the production of that too. Like getting everyone together, like, okay, how did he do How did he pull that one? Yeah, it, 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 is, <laughs> it is kind of nuts organizing all the people. Um, although the fest, I, that I've only done at festivals because it's kind of just the time when everyone's in one place and they have their gear and it's, we're all there. And it's like, yeah, find that extra day in between performances. Yeah. Make it happen. Very cool. Well, Seth, thank you so much for doing this, man. I mean, yeah. really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have one more quick question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Oh yeah. I saw that question earlier. Um, yeah. I mean, my, my first bit of advice was songwriting advice. Like the thing I always tell people about songwriting is um, just to like write a lot of songs and, and let yourself off the hook from writing a good song and write, try to write 10 bad songs. And I generally find when I'm helping people out or people are working on something and, you know, they go to write 10 bad songs. And then by the time they've gotten to five, they're like, actually, I kind of like these first three songs, you know, like there's something about the pressure of, of writing something that you're going to like that can be hard to start or hard, you know, you have that like critical voice in your head. So I think um, giving yourself the freedom to just like try things and make things and write things. And I think generally that's a, uh, 
a great way to get started and great way to start to write really good music. Um, in terms of, you know, general musical advice, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what kind of advice do people usually give here. Uh, never quit, or, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> don't have a plan B. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it, is, it is like that. It is like that. I mean, you know, I, I thought about it too. It's like the, the world is so different now from when I started. I mean, it's so cool because there's so many outlets to get, there's so many different ways of making music now. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many outlets to get your music out there. I mean, at the same time, it's like it can feel noisy and distracted because, you know, there's like people don't have a lot of attention and it can be hard to like find people and get them excited about what you're doing. But at the same time, I think it's like easier than ever to like connect with communities. You know, I think music and community go really well together, whether that's like finding people and putting, you know, playing shows together or whether that's like an online community where you're sharing music, you know, whether it's, you know, SoundCloud or MixCloud or whatever the, you know, depending on what types of music you do. So I think like just connecting with communities and interacting, I, I think that digital is like a crazy awesome format for collaboration, working with different artists. I think that that stuff all leads to successful paths still. And then, um, you know, I mean, it's just kind of a, it's an exciting time to be able to make music because there's just so many rad tools available from plugins and sounds. And then, I mean, I wish I had like, you know, Spotify or Apple music when I was a kid, um, right. you know, I had to go to the store and then I like, remember I was like, I heard of Elvis Costello and I bought an Elvis Costello CD and then I didn't like it. And I think I bought the wrong Elvis Costello CD, <laughs> but oh, man. And then I was like, and then for years I didn't listen to Elvis Costello, but it's like, now it's like, if I heard of Elvis Costello, I just go listen to like 20 records. I'd be like, this is amazing. And so, you know, the, the, the sheer breadth of music you can reference and, and digest and dig into is so cool. Um, you know, and then there's there's so many cool tools out there. Bandcamp, you can just like release music and create community immediately on something like Bandcamp. So I think it's a really exciting time to be, uh, I imagine, be a young musician. And, and, and I think that the myriad of ways you can combine all these tools and sounds is like, there's so much room, there's so much for innovation, you know, and, and new sounds and new ideas. So I, I think it's pretty cool.